In Matthew 4.19, Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Join us in this conversation as we discuss following Jesus, leadership, and doing life with others. Welcome to the 419 Disciple Makers Podcast. Well, we're back with Chuck McElroy. Last week was very inspiring, mm-hmm. and I hope that you uh, heard that and were able to take some of the, the takeaways from there. And Chuck is a disciple maker who um, has been successful in business, been successful in family, and now he is reaching back and discipling uh, younger generations of of believers. And so uh, whether your term is millennial, next generation, I guess, mm-hmm. a lot of people don't like to be labeled, do they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Chuck, tell us a little bit about how you're now um, focused on the uh, the next generation in disciple making. Well, it really started, I think, for me when my daughter introduced us to the um, young man that she wanted to marry. Um, although, although at that time, we didn't think marriage was involved, but uh, she had met a guy at... Uh, at the University of Georgia, which is where all good people come from. Is go that dogs, right? Go yeah. dogs. Uh, but uh, <laughs> his name is Evan, and Evan's uh, unfortunately uh, a product of a broken family, and mm. his father passed away when he was, I believe, 16 years old. Wow. So um, as Jenna and Evan uh, courted and dated and then became engaged and got married, I uh, spent a lot of time with Evan. Well, that was a long weekend. There, right? <laughs> it was. <laughs> it seems that way now to me. But uh, And in and, and that process, Evan and I decided we would get together uh, once a week and have dinner. And uh, This is you and your son-in-law. Just the two of us, and do a one-on-one discipleship. Were you doing this uh, before they were married yes. or after they were married? No, before they were married. So and, this is your daughter's fiancé, yeah. and he wants, and you've... You initiated this, or he initiated it? I initiated this? it. I asked Jenna first what uh, she thought his response would be if I asked him about that. She said, oh, I think he'd love it. And so wow. I approached him, and he said, great. And I remember the very first... <laughs> Probably because you're going to buy each week, right? Yeah, well, that's <laughs> part of it. He likes that part a lot, but no, he's actually really gracious about it. He always eats something very inexpensive. I think he's afraid about uh, spending too much of my money. Uh, the first place we met was a Chipotle Mexican place, okay. a shout out to Chipotle. Yeah. And I felt like I messed this one up really bad. Oh, yeah. I just felt like I talked about myself and you know <laughs> just didn't ask questions or whatever. And I came away from that first session thinking, wow, I blew it. If this mm. guy wants to get together with me, it'll be a miracle. <laughs> and I was carrying these thoughts in my head. My daughter came to me a day or two later and says, I got to tell you, Dad, how much, and tears are starting to fill her eyes, how much I appreciate you spending time with Evan. He said it was the most meaningful conversation he's ever had. Oh my and he gosh. said, when you asked him questions, he felt somebody heard him. Oh my gosh. And I thought, man, I didn't feel like I asked him very many questions. Yeah. You, but, were, you were judging the event <laughs> through one set of lenses, right? Yeah. So it, you know, we continued with that process, and we still do to this day. But I want to say that I invited him to my Tuesday group, which we talked about last week. Okay. And he came for a while. But frankly, meeting at 6 or 6.15 in the morning before he does a long commute down to his job was not his perfect time. Now, how old is Evan at this time when you're... He's probably 25 or 26. Okay, so he's a young guy. Yeah. yeah. I don't Two or three years ago, so maybe yeah. 24. Yeah, he's a young guy. And this and all the rest of the group were you know old people like me. And uh, <laughs> he's this young millennial. But so we started to just do it one-on-one at dinner. And okay. uh, and it works, and it's amazing. I tell you a little side story because we'll often pray for our our, our waitress or waiter. That uh, we'll say, well, we're going to be praying. Can we pray for you too? And by the way, that's a great invitation to. Oh, what do waiters and waitresses say when they, you ask that? I'd say about eighty percent. Of course, we live in the Bible Belt. Love it. Really? And they're so they're so. Um, 
I guess, flattered and blessed by you thinking of praying for something in their life. A couple of them have kind of said, oh, things are fine or whatever, or they'll kind of dismiss you, but nobody's been rude about it. Nobody's been offended, thrown a water in your face or anything, no. huh? And all, what you're doing then is, uh, bef- as the waitress is about to prepare the meal or to bring the meal, and you say, we're going to pray together, how can we pray for you? Man, that's incredible. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, um, we've also had a lot of uh, onlookers that will ask questions. And I remember we were um, one place and we were getting ready to leave and the hostess said to the two of us, can you explain what you two guys are doing? Because we had been there a few times. Uh-huh. And I said, well, this is my future son-in-law and uh, um, I'm discipling him. We're going through uh, books and we're discussing it. We're talking about how life and our and our faith come together. And she was standing next to another young girl and they looked at each other and she said, I would give anything if the man I marry were to meet with my dad like you do. How about that? And I thought to myself, there's such an opportunity out there yeah. for these this generation. And, yeah. and many of them have good mentors and they have people you know, pouring the gospel into their lives, but many don't. Oh, I and bet most of them don't. I mean, <laughs> so seriously. that caused me to think about this group. And so I started to pray about it. And I realized this is a very different group than my generation mm-hmm. there. They're prone to want to get together on weekends or evenings okay. or times that I might consider more leisure. They would consider the time I want to get together is sleep time. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, I had been approached by uh, our worship arts director here at the church asking me if I would be willing to join him mm-hmm. in doing the tech team here at the church, which are all 20-somethings. Okay. And I thought, this is great. However, I had just taken a new job, and the time they wanted to meet was right in the work day, and I couldn't do it. So I felt disappointed, and I know we talked last time about how God sets these things in motion. So I, yeah. I worked in this job. The job blew up. Uh, we ended up going bankrupt, and uh, and I came to the worship arts director and said, you know, my schedule's now free. It had been a year since he had asked me to do this. Um, are you still open? He says, we haven't started yet, and I would love for you to help me do this. Oh, wow. And so the timing was perfect. So now I get together, and we just started this maybe um, – Eight weeks ago okay. or so, and we're we're going through a, a book called "Fathered by God" by uh, Eldridge. Oh yeah, and it's just fathered really, by God by John Eldridge. John Eldridge, yeah. yeah, and it's just a good teaser, and it talks about how God's using the different stages in our life to prepare us and to use us, yeah. and uh, and it's it's it's, it's an interesting story, and it's an interesting uh, study, particularly when you get people of multiple generations, because you've got <laughs> the old guy me who's now in the sixth stage, and you've got these young bucks that are. In stage two, you know, the first yeah. stage being, uh, I guess, boyhood, and then you get into a cowboy and warrior and king and lover and 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 or lover and then king and then sage. I may have not done that in the yeah. right order, yeah. but anyway, we're connecting, and it's it's always interesting to see how God does that mm-hmm. in multiple generations. And I think that's really the design here. As you look for people to disciple, look for people that aren't necessarily just like you. And maybe don't Isn't that come the from... story with the twelve? It is. I mean, we talked about A. B. Bruce's study, the training of the twelve. These guys were not all the same age and the same IQ. We think they were all fishermen. No, man, they were tax collectors. They were all kinds of things. And um, we, we, I think what happens in a lot of people who are drafting a group or looking for a group to put together, we got to look at different personalities, mm-hmm. different walks of life, mm-hmm. different generations. I I agree with you. I have a group that's. Uh, the youngest one is 25, and the oldest one is 62. Hmm. And it really works yeah. well across that. It, some people don't think. We meet in my home on Monday nights, and uh, it really is a is a beautiful picture of uh, all those. I think all six stages you just mentioned from Eldridge's Fathered by God are, are, are pretty much resident right there, except for the, the boy. Um, 
I don't want to blow past that. I think people out there are interested in good books, good content. There's a million books you could read. There's about 20 that are probably the best <laughs> if you need time, or if you're, if you're uh, stuck with uh, trying to juggle time. Um, but this Fathered by God book is, is uh, I think it speaks to where men live, and I think women can understand their husbands, their sons better if they understand the six stages. So would you mind just let's spend a little bit of time kind of walking through those sure. for everybody and, listening? Yeah, and I, I was first exposed to it actually by the Thursday breakfast group, which I didn't I didn't attend all the sessions on that, but that's when it first came to my light. And then uh, Evan, my son-in-law, who we spoke about, he and I decided to do this together. Okay. Uh, and I, I, you know, as I'm a little bit of a surrogate father to him, yeah. it gave us an opportunity for, I think this is a great study for a father to do with a son or a, a grandfather to do with a grandson. Yeah, but it was great for us to go through it. So we, he and I, went through this book before we did it with, or we're doing it, just finishing it. Actually, today is our last session with is the, it really? the, the the tech team, um, and so it really lays out for you kind of how God is mapping events and challenges and activities in your life. It's kind of like that reading Hebrew we talked about last time, yeah, where we go through these stages and we have these ups and downs, and they're really ways of God honing us and shaping us into the people he intends us to be. Yeah, well, you know what you're doing with your son-in-law, this surrogate father, I think you call it. I remember in the book, Eldred says that um, when somebody says that they're a self-made man, mm. uh, we tend to put that as a moniker of achievement, and we pat him on the back, you know, wow, you're self-made. He says it's a tragic statement because it means that there was no father figure there to teach you how to to be successful or to love a woman or to be a godly parent. And I, I remember that just changing my whole thinking around that concept of a self-made man. It's a tragic statement, indicting the father that he wasn't there to... You know, this teach. is a little bit of an aside, but I remember when I was living in San Antonio, Texas, uh, I got my boys involved with me in a program called Indian Guides. And Indian Guides, my understanding is, was set up by a businessman in uh, St. Louis, where I lived, and a friend of his who was an American Indian. And the American Indian said to him, you white man, uh, white men are very odd in that you leave the raising of your boys to your wives. Wow. And in our culture, the raising of a son is a man's responsibility. Hmm. And so he started this Indian Guides, which is unique because the kids can't be involved unless the father is involved. So it's a father-son thing. Wow. And they have Indian princesses and Indian maidens and mothers and daughters and fathers and daughters, all, all through that. But I've thought about that in terms of our role as disciple makers. And yeah. I do think while many of us are involved in pouring into people who either don't have mentors or fathers in their lives, we also have that obligation with our own kids. And, uh, and one of the people I'm... I'm working with and discipling is my oldest son, and we get together for lunch once a month, not once a week, and do the same thing. But I think That's we have cool. this call as as men oh, yeah, yeah. to father our sons and our grandsons. Absolutely. You know, we can't abdicate that. We can't uh, farm that out. Right. In our culture, we farm out everything. You can't farm out uh, biblical parenting, you know, uh, spiritual leadership. I mean, this is a responsibility that we have. Uh, you know, when you think about the book, I was I was thinking about the, the first phase of a man's life. If you're taking notes out there, you're probably not. You're probably jogging or something. But the first phase of a, of a man's life specifically is um, that beloved son mm-hmm. that you're just, your dad, you belong to your dad, you know, you belong to the family, you're loved, uh, and you're just uh, embraced by that. You don't have to prove yourself. 
And so the first phase. Now, for a lot of people, that can be a very dysfunctional time of life. For a lot of people, it's a it's a beautiful, formative time of life. But regardless, we're all we all start off as that beloved beloved son. And then the next phase I know is um, you mentioned it, the cowboy. Yeah. What do you What did you remember from that cowboy phase as you walked with your group through that? Well, first of all, I grew up in Texas, and I wanted to be a cowboy. So this <laughs> He's wearing resume. a 10-gallon hat right now, everybody. I want, you should see this there's, thing. It's there's beautiful. one guy in my group, in this, in this group that meets today, that actually went to Nashville on a tech deal, and he bought a cowboy hat, and he's had that thing on ever since, I think. But <laughs> See, you're influencing these guys. Right? <laughs> now, the cowboy is the opportunity for us to adventure and to go out and, and you know ride into new places and, and explore new territory yeah, yeah, and, and take defenses, on the challenges. Yeah. And, and you're given this kind of a little bit of an untethered opportunity to go explore. And yet you are brought in periodically by the father, the heavenly father, and your earthly father mm-hmm. often when you get outside the bounds or near the bounds. A little too big for you, yeah, boots. right. And that's all <laughs> part of the development. That's all part of our education yeah. is, is we become the men of God that He intends us to be. I see that in, in the lives of young men. I think it's like 16, you start getting your own license, you start mm-hmm. getting straying away from the house. I mean, I mean I'm mean, i humming the song Desperado right now in my head. <laughs> but this uh, beloved son, childhood, that moves into these teenage young man years of cowboy, uh, then you move into the phase of, uh, of warrior. Mm-hmm. And I believe it's in, in that phase. I mean, if you think about it just realistically, if a guy is going to enlist in the military or he's going to learn to discipline or fight for what he believes in, that warrior phase, I tend to see that kind of the 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, and 20s are a difficult time. They're generally starting jobs. They're generally having to take on particular issues at work or maybe even in their home life. And yeah. and they've got things they want to stand for. They have uh, and principles and ideals that they want to champion, and they become a warrior. Yeah, and, and they... And, um, they learn to fight for what they believe in, mm-hmm. and if you don't, and you just become, you know, a chameleon of culture, um, you're not really learning all the things that come with being a warrior. Uh, I know the next phase of that um, is lover, and this is where you learn to love a woman, to love children, to love the Lord, to love, you know. And it doesn't; it's not always centered on ooey gooey feelings mm-hmm. and comfort. It's sometimes, you know, Stephen Chapman wrote a song, Four Seasons of a Man," I think it was called. And in there, he says, where love is more than feelings, it's fixing bikes and painting ceilings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and I really think, though, if you don't exhaust that cowboy phase and you don't exhaust that warrior phase, if you move into that lover phase too soon, man, you really don't bring everything you're going to need for that phase of life. Yeah. You know, people that marry really, really, really young before they've even learned discipline in their life. And, you know, one of the seminal uh, verses in my life has been First uh, John four nineteen because it's so true for me that we love because God first loved us. Wow! And before I really probably even understood God's love, yeah. He was loving me. And uh, and I think it's probably the most important uh, aspect of our lives is to love others and to be loved. Yeah. Um, and so you know, it's easy for guys, especially in a guys group, to kind of want to shy away from this discussion. This is of uh, love. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, you got this beloved son, you got the cowboy, you got the warrior, you got the lover, and this is probably as you're beginning to start your family and really learning what it means to prioritize family time and 
you, you know, I see this a lot in the, a lot of the coaching that I do. The the next phase, though, um, is uh, remind king. me again, the king, king. Yeah, yeah and you know, I, I, we talked about kings, uh, although I don't think we really have kings in our culture, but we have leaders. We have people mm-hmm. who have responsibility that have to make decisions, uh, often involving people. I mean, I think this happens more like in the probably forties to fifties, where mm-hmm. you've risen at least in your in your business life to where you have some authority and responsibility with that. You probably own property. Uh, you're making yep. decisions financially for you and your family. And decisions that affect other people's lives. Yeah. yeah. And the thing that I, I really resonate most with this piece of Eldridge's book is that the good kings, and frankly, if you go through the book of Kings, you'll find out that most of those kings were not good kings. <laughs> yeah. But the good kings are those that are rooted in God. Yeah. that they are spending daily time with the Lord. They're being led. They're leading by first being led yeah. by God. Yeah, this is a phase. Uh, it's your highest earning years, I believe. And um, you just have you just kind of graduated into some power, so to speak, in different arenas. But I know the final phase, the sixth phase, is uh, the sage. And um, that's actually the phase I'm most intrigued mm. by. Because that's the one you've, you're about to enter into. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm still cowboy. Uh, <laughs> but but what, I, what I see is a lot of men feel like this is a time to check out mm. and to go to, like Piper says in the book, Don't Waste Your Life, this is the time to go to the beach where you don't know anybody and collect shells and spend your life mm-hmm. that way and waste your sage years. Mm. Man, the stuff that the sage knows is the wisdom that all these other generations desperately need. And that's what I um, that's what I like about what you're doing is you're reaching back into these younger generations and imparting that wisdom that's going to help them through that lover through that uh, even the warrior phase lover phase king phase. Well, sage uh, is the subject we're going to speak about today in our session, and uh, and you know I, I wrote down the qualities of a good sage, and obviously a sage is wise, but a sage is humble. And a sage is someone who listens. I think to be an effective sage, you don't walk in and tell. You really ask questions, and you really wait to be asked questions. Mm -hmm. The effective sages are the ones who listen to a man and wait to be asked their opinion. Um, And that's that's a shift from the king. And... uh, and so I'm struggling, as, as we talked about before. I, I I want to tell, and you probably can sense some of that in my comments over this thing. But I am trying to learn to be a little more patient, yeah, and wait. Man, if there's anything our culture needs, it's the sage to speak up. It's the sage to be present. Um, I've got this one guy that I was coaching, and, and he made this comment that just blew me away. He, we were talking about the phases, and he said, um, he said, man, when my first kid was born. I was hungover, actually, and I remember just kind of not really being there, but I mean, I was there physically, but you know, I was tied up with work and all this stuff. He said, when my second kid was born, I was traveling for business, and I was there in and out, and I was consumed. If I was holding him, I was thinking about the report that needed to come out or something like that. He said, though, after the king years and all, and he became the sage, he said uh, he held his first grandchild. He actually said, I got on the floor and looked at my first grandchild. We made eye-to-eye contact. He said, Mark, it's the first time I've ever been present in my life. Think about that. I thought about, God, what the sage years deliver for us, that God can can speak through us with this wisdom that he desperately wants to impart into these younger men, younger women. Uh, I think that's what's lacking in our culture. I think we see it in ancient culture. I think we see it in Eastern culture, um, that the sage was, now we take the sage and we put him in a nursing home, or we, you know, put him on the bench, or we think that they're out of touch or irrelevant. Man, 
that gray hair that you and I both have, <laughs> we earn this stuff. <laughs> right? And some of it fell out during the process, too. <laughs> yeah. Well, your hair either turns gray or turns loose, and uh, mine's doing both. But but I really just want to uh, I want to encourage you. That this book is a great book to use if you want to start a group or to have something. Again, it's not about curriculum. Yes. Uh, discipleship is a content-based relationship. Yes. And so you do need some content. But the relationship is what's most important. And two things I'd add to that. Number one is I don't think that there is a one-size-fits-all. I think that there are different tools that will be effective with different people. And the second thing yeah. is is that the Matthew 419 Disciple Makers website is a phenomenal resource. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I frankly, I have not used as much as I should because mm-hmm. it's just a wealth of resources that are out there that can be used for exactly what we're talking about. And uh, and I think with with this younger group, I kind of hate to put the label millennials because some of them may be Gen, I think they're called Gen Y or Gen Z, I can't remember, but mm-hmm. uh, they may not all be millennials. But this younger generation, there may be a different set of materials that fits for them. And this Fathered by God works, especially with my involvement because I've been through <laughs> most of these phases. Yeah. Uh, but it may be something else for a different group. Well, I'm I'm encouraged by what you're doing. Uh, you are you are in the game. You are on the field, um, and uh, you've taken that leap. Uh, you called yourself a disciple maker. A lot of people aren't comfortable calling themselves that, and um, but that is what God has called you. So why don't you just take that label and run with it, right? Well, and the truth is, uh, I have an adamant belief that I don't make disciples, that I don't <laughs> yeah. convict anybody, that I yeah. don't bring anyone to Christ, that that's Jesus and the Holy Spirit working through me yeah. doing that. And I'm just trying to be faithful to Him. And you know, my life has been so richly blessed, Mark. I have been so, so incredibly blessed by the evidence of God in my life. Another key verse for me is Psalm 115, the first verse, which says, not for us, O Lord, not for us, but to your name be the glory because yeah. of your love and faithfulness. And that's been true in my life. So all I want to do is give back these gifts and these blessings he's given me for his kingdom's mm-hmm. sake to make a difference in the lives of others. Hey, if you're listening out there, I told you you were going to like this. Mm-hmm. I told you you were going to get a lot out of Chuck um, and what he's doing. Um, uh, I want to thank you for coming on and for encouraging uh, me and for encouraging everybody else. What Chuck, what would you say to the leader out there who maybe, we call it the sophomore slump, mm-hmm. you know, we started the process and now we're in the middle of it and we're like, wow, this is harder than I thought, or this takes commitment. Um, what would you say to that leader out there who's, uh, who's feeling second-guessing themselves? Well, the first thing I'd say is the fuel for me is my daily quiet time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say, if you're in a slump, my first question is, are you spending time with the Lord? Are you spending time in His Word? Great question. If you are, you're going to be energized. Mm-hmm. And then if you combine that with prayer and reflection on what has God done in my life, how gracious has God been to me? You know, we have um, we have a medicine, if you will, that will cure anything. And if we keep that to ourselves, if we don't share that, yeah. we're not just not following the Great Commission. We're derelict. We are, we are <laughs> bad stewards. Irresponsible. Irresponsible. Right? And... I would say reflect on yourself first and say, think of what Jesus did for you. Yeah. Think what he did on a cross for you. Yeah. You know, we, we completely deserved a death that he took. Mm-hmm. And he did it because of his love for us. And then he calls us. You know, he, he said when he gathered his disciples together at that last supper, he said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. 
Mm-hmm. And this way, they'll know you're followers of me. And that's really what disciple-making is, is loving others and, and doing so so that others will know. I mean, the reality is, is I've talked about my family. And well, let me tell a quick, real quick story if you've got time. Yeah. Uh, when I was in San Antonio, I went to church one Sunday, and the pastor gave a sermon on Romans 16, which was a, a piece of scripture I frankly was not very familiar with. And if you go back and read it, it's just a list of a whole bunch of names that are hard to pronounce. And after he, <laughs> after he gave the, the reading of that, then he talked about people in his life that impacted him, mm. that meant something to him. And as he finished his stories about these people, he stopped and he said, these people mean absolutely nothing to you. They're strangers to you, but they mean everything to me. Wow. And I went home and I wrote down on a piece of paper and I keep it in my wallet, wow. the people that have impacted my life for God's sake. And How I about say, that? I thank God for X. And there are 11 names on my little card that I have. And I think about those people. And I think about the fact that the blessing I have from God and the richness of the faith that I enjoy is because others took time to invest in me. Mm-hmm. And if we're not doing that, then as I said, you're not doing what God's asked you. Well, and the likelihood, since you are, the likelihood is some guy down the road is going to have a list in their wallet with your name on it. <laughs> well, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just going to happen that way. It's just, you know, we impress people from a distance, yeah. but we impact people up close. Yeah. And disciple making is about impact, and it happens in a circle, in a small group, in a home, in a in a small room where you're doing life on life together. So thank you, man, for all that you share. You could We're going to have you back here uh, sometime to share some more stuff, but appreciate your time. If you're out there today, as he said, 419disciplemakers.org is a great website. Everything's free. Just go peruse, find some videos, find some content, uh, but find God's purpose for your life, which is investing your life intentionally into the lives of others so that they grow um, to spiritual maturity and then are able to uh, to multiply that, to grow that. That's, what, that's what's going to grow the kingdom of God on earth. You believe that? I do. I believe it too. Thanks, Chuck, for being here, and God bless. Thanks, Mark. For more information, check out our website, 419disciplemakers.org. Join us again next week as we continue our conversation on the 419 Disciple Makers podcast.